Welcome to Poetry Spotlight, presented by the Ohio Poetry Association. I am your host, Jeremy Jusek, and with us today is Stephanie Kendrick. Stephanie is the Poet Laureate of Athens County and the author of In Any of These Towns and Places We Feel Warm. She's the editor of Periodical Poetry. With a Master's of Social Sciences from Ohio University, she is a major unusual incident compliance coordinator at the Athens County Board of Developmental Disabilities. She served as a village councilwoman in Albany, Ohio, where she lives with her phenomenal husband and their talented son. On any given day, you might find her binging on trash TV, hiking through the hills of Athens, or training in jujitsu. Her poems have appeared in Sheila Nagig Online, Gyroscope Review, Northern Appalachia Review, Poets Reading the News, Still the Journal, and elsewhere. Visit her website to learn more at stephthepoet.org. And Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. Jeremy, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah. Uh, Could you please start us with a poem? Of course. I'm going to read A Close Road Ahead out of In Any of These Towns. Close Road Ahead. The road is crumbling in the center of town. Promises of a sinkhole elate the children, propel them to chatter of the center of earth. Mysteries that widen their eyes, tiny globed galaxies light years away. They have always been warned, stars sting to the touch. All we are was already in space anyway. So they race to the center of town and dance in the soup bowl asphalt hungry for everything in the whole world to prove to everyone else that even down here is just as empty and just as vast. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you started with a poem from that collection because um so I I have read that book. It's a very very good book. And well, thank you. Um it's you you touch on themes of poverty and uh feminism very frequently and um but there's also a sense of like there's also there's also a sense of deep humanity you've got these people that feel very real and Mm. i was wondering if you could talk about those themes um and where they come from and how you hope that they are taken sure um i i guess i'd start out with just saying that um there was rarely a time when I was writing this collection that it felt really deliberate, um, except maybe towards the end. Uh, The poems and the work just sort of fell in my lap during the pandemic. Um, I had actually, uh, so it was pretty early on in the pandemic and uh, there wasn't a whole lot to do. I'm sure you remember. Um, And so I, had been feeling an urge to go visit the town that I grew up in. Uh, I hadn't been there for a really long time, probably uh, over, gosh, 25 years. And it's not that far away, less than two hours. So I asked my husband, you know, you want to take a drive with me? And so I loaded him and my son up in the car and we went down to Willowwood, Ohio, uh, which is where I have my first memories from, I would say. Um, It's not the first house that I lived in. It's not the first place that I lived in, but I moved there when I was around four or so. So it's really the first place that I really have the sensory memory from. And of course there wasn't a whole lot to do. We went, we went there and I walked around the old school that I went to the outside of it, uh, drove up to 
the house that we lived in for the four years that we lived in that area. Um, and all of these memories just started flooding back to me from that time. And so these themes that I talk about are themes that have sort of lived with me through my time there and all of these other uh, experiences that I've had in these small rural towns. Um, and I would say, yes, poverty is definitely in there. Uh, feminism, absolutely. Um, there's also this idea of resilience and a little bit of feeling trapped, um, uh, the nature and how important I think, uh, how important the landscape is to our area. Um, and so, so all of these memories started coming back and I just uh, com compiled those, I would say, with experiences that I've had or people who I knew and sort of extracted their experiences and those culminated in these poems. Fascinating. Um, <clears throat> and how did you decide on how to re represent this place? Because, you know, I, I wrote about my hometown and I was constantly conscious of like, is this rep representation unfair? Are people going to think like, oh, this is like how it is? Because it's my experience is not, does not speak for everybody else. So I, I'm just curious about how that selection went for you. I think that that's a great question. And at first I wasn't super conscious of that. Um, I wasn't conscious of how I was representing the area or the people. I was just writing, you know, I was just kind of, letting these experiences come out in poetry. And then I remember submitting to a journal, I won't say which one, but I did get some pretty good feedback from the editor of that journal, um, which is rare to get feedback when you submit a piece, in my experience anyways. And he said, um, I think you should take a look at this and think about um, what kind of a light you're shining on the people in this poem and if that's your goal and so i looked at it and then i i have really struggled with that and i really continue to struggle with that um and this is not an appalachian specific thing i think no matter what region you are writing about no matter what towns you're writing about the people who you're writing about um all of those things are really complex and it's not always pretty and it's not always nice. And your experience, my experience has not always been good. Um, and so I do continue to struggle with that. Um, what I came to was that I have to be able to justify why I wrote the things that I wrote. And if something is not a good representation, um, then I just need to be able to justify that and why I chose to write about it in that way. Um, I don't necessarily have to always represent everything I write about in a positive light. Um, I don't think that poets have a responsibility to do that. I do think that uh, we have to be prepared for reactions and the consequences of that. Um, and so, I knew that I wanted to really hone in on and focus on 
infrastructure and people. Um, as I was writing the first, I don't know, three or four poems that I was writing, that's the feedback that I was getting from the group that I was sharing them with was um, they were just loving the quirky people in the poems. Um, and then I knew that I was putting in a lot of infrastructure, like in the poem that I just read, uh, Closed Road Ahead, it starts out with this idea that the road is crumbling. And it's no accident that at that time I was on a village council where we were really racking our brains to try to figure, figure out how we were going to pay to pave our streets. Um, and so, so thinking about the infrastructure of a town, how the people interact with that uh, or impact that or are impacted by it, I think is really what I leaned heavily on throughout the piece, throughout the chapbook. Okay. And, you know, I know in an interview, you recently said you have a, re you have been exploring the idea that you have a responsibility to society. And I'm curious, I'm curious what you mean about that. And I, I want to take it a step further and ask also, do you think that being, you know, on city council, being in a position where you're, you know, you're visible, you're helping people through nonprofits, you're looked up to um, by the community, um, you're a leader in the poetry community, you know, in the poetry space. Um, do you have a responsibility to writing? And do you think that someone elevated to a role has a responsibility to create? I love this question. I have been thinking about this a lot because I have been restructuring my commitments a little bit and figuring out um, what I what I want to devote my time to. Um, what is serving me and what's no longer serving me. And part of that was stepping away from village council. Um, I didn't run for re-election this year. So December was my last month. And that was really hard for me to do because I did feel this sort of responsibility to my community to do so. It's not in my village, people aren't, um, rushing the door to try to get on council, right? So there was this fear that there may be a seat left open and yada, yada. So <clears throat> I'll say that, that I think that um, as I'm thinking about my time in a different way, maybe my thoughts on what my responsibilities are is changing a little bit. And as I'm getting older, maybe my thoughts on that are changing a little bit. Um, so, my responsibility, I think, to society as a whole is just to do no harm. And when I have the capacity to do so, help others mitigate a risk of future harm or help to heal harm that has already been done by other people. I think that that is my responsibility to society. As, as a writer, this is going to be one of those questions that I answer and then I'll be uh, maybe doing your podcast five years from now and uh, feel like I've, I really made a mistake with this answer. But I don't think that I have a responsibility when it comes to writing. Um, writing is such a self-centered act for me. I do write to honor other things from time to time. 
but most of the time I'm, I'm just writing because I'm called to write. It's very compulsive. I'm not out here trying to change lives. Um, so I don't necessarily think that I have the responsibility to the art itself, uh, but the more I understand the way that I, the way that I write, the more that I think my responsibility lies to the people that I'm writing about or the people whose lives I'm extracting from to use in my writing. Uh, we just talked about that a little bit. Um, I do think that if I'm going to take from someone else's experiences, um, that I'm careful with that and that I'm not doing any harm, right? Um, it's interesting, I think, to be a poet, um, I do feel sometimes like I am exploitative in a way because I am just constantly siphoning, whether I mean to or not. I, I feel like I'm siphoning from different people or experiences um, in ways that I can't necessarily help all the time, uh, but I can help what I do with that. So, so that's the responsibility I feel with writing. I don't necessarily feel this responsibility to create or change the world or to use it as advocacy. Okay. That's fascinating, especially the first, well, all of it was, but the first part of your answer I think is neat because instead of coming at it and answering it from a place of leadership, like I have to lead this way or my mm. duties to society are and spelling those out, yours is I'm not going to break anything while I'm here. <laughs> I'm mm. going to, I'm, if I'm going to be a bull in a China shop, I'm going to put caution tape up around the displays and tiptoe as much as I can. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm not always successful, right? I, I, I do cause harm sometimes and so far it's not been irreparable, um, but being human is to be flawed. Um, but yes, try to do as little harm as possible while I'm here. <laughs> One thing I can say, I think the poetry community is very gracious about their forgiveness. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear it wasn't permanent harm. <laughs> yes, I agree with that. Yeah. So do you then? Do you think uh, you were called to poetry as as an art form? And and I say that because you describe like a how the book kind of coalesced. Like you had. I imagine you had a group of poems and you're like, oh, these are related this way. So I'm going to mm -hmm. set those aside now. And you describe your writing as like compulsive and, and like it, it's emotional. And that's, I don't know that you can really apply that same thing to say fiction. You know what I mean? Um, mm. So do you think poetry was inevitable for you? That's so interesting. I had never really thought about thinking about that in terms of fiction and you in my experience because I have tried writing fiction before you have to be much more I had to be much more deliberate intentional about fiction whereas with poetry uh, sometimes it really just spills out of me and I will format it in a way that I know how share it with other poets and then they'll validate that it's poetry. And so there we go, I've written a poem um, and I didn't have to try very hard. And I think part of that is because poetry uh, lends itself so nicely to this sort of emotion, the way that we experience the world through emotion. So it's okay that a lot of this is feeling, it's okay that a lot of poetry 
is centered around um, metaphor, just images. And um, so I don't necessarily have to be as deliberate about it. I can just sort of let things spill out and then shape them um, over time. Uh, so, so do I think it was a calling? I'm really not sure. I do know that um, I've just been writing for as long as I can remember and poetry and essays are my, my main forms. Um, and I think it's just a way for me to uh, process what I'm, you can just write what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Um, whereas fiction, that's much different. But I love to just think about, write about and talk about how I'm feeling and how I'm thinking about the world. And I think poems lend themselves beautifully to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate your appreciation for poetry so much because it's mm. it's magical and like okay so you had this interview with um gina mcknight and you were talking about how you walked into your elementary school's library and the the sight of the library just totally overwhelmed you like it, mm. you likened it to like the beauty and the beast library <laughs> like mm -hmm. the moving bookcases and did it have moving bookcases like could you slide them oh no and let me tell you i haven't been back to that library since i was at that school. So we're talking 25 plus years ago. And I guarantee you it was not, you know, as magical. But, you know, as a child, I think that there's a uh, reason that I was remembering it this way for sure. <laughs> so uh, I just, and it was, and it was large. I do remember it being sort of two stories, two levels. Um, in this otherwise fairly small school, it just, it felt magical. It felt very large, it felt abundant. Um, and I think to add another layer to that, um, when I was a child, we lived in poverty. I'm talking holes in the floors and the walls. Um, uh, we, were get, we were having food boxes delivered to us so that we would have food. Our Christmas gifts came from the sheriff's department. And so we did not have sort of this luxury of uh, a lot of entertainment at my home. Uh, this place is also very rural and any friends that I had lived uh, miles and miles, at least 10 or 15 miles away, right? So um, I'm not, you know, just getting on my bike and able to ride, you know, several farms over to Anna's house and hang out. And so, as a very poor child with very limited resources and access to entertainment in a very rural town in the early 90s, to step inside a very large library, get handed a card and said, hey, you can use this to get any books you want for free and you can take them home. There's something, there's something special about that where I felt rich. I felt like the playing field was evened a little bit. I felt safe and comfortable and um, had so much opportunity at my fingertips uh, in the form of entertainment. Um, and so, so there was a lot of magic in that, you know, those initial library visits. Yeah. And, and what were the first things, what was the like the first poem that you remember reading that was really oh, impactful? Gosh. Yeah. So I don't have a great answer for this. 
um, because I didn't really get into poetry early on. Now, I can tell you that, of course, as a child, I was exposed to poetry all over the place. Um, nursery rhymes, Dr. Seuss, Shel Silverstein, all of that is poetry. And then as an adolescent, my preteen, teenager years, uh, Destiny's Child is poetry, Beyonce is poetry, the Beatles are poetry, you know? So there was all of this exposure, but I can't say that I actually read a poem and said, oh, this is for me until I got into high school really. Um, and we were reading um, Sylvia Plath and it was, we were reading Morning Song and it's that, that first line. I remember our, our English teacher, Mrs. Callahan making this huge deal about that first line. And I can't even remember love, love brought you in like a fat gold watch. I just butchered that, but I remember that fat gold watch. And then she spent like 20 minutes talking about what that line meant, the importance of fat gold watch and all the things that that could mean and uh, what the literary masters uh, tell us it means. And, and I was like, oh, poetry, poetry is like a word game. There's stuff here. Uh, there's buried treasure in all of these poems. And it just made me read, I just wanted to sort of get my hands on every poem and figure out what's the buried treasure in here? What does this word mean? What are they doing here? What does this image mean? And um, so probably to the point of over analyzing everything I was reading, but it was so much fun to me. And um, so that's where I think that it really started was with uh, class morning song. Uh, and it wasn't until high school, unfortunately. Okay. And and do you, do you use writing as a form of escapism? Oh, no. I don't even, I don't see how writing can be escapism. For me, it's the total opposite of that. Um, and and that could be because I I write so so much personal things. I'm not really writing about things that I'm not necessarily going through. I think, um, uh, but no, I truly believe that it's the opposite of escapism. I feel like writing is a way to dive really really deep into an idea, expose it, and then if you're someone who's sharing your poems. If, whether that's just a workshop you're in, you're reading it to your spouse or you're sending it off and then it gets published and then, you know, uh, many people read it. That Those spaces are the most vulnerable spaces that I feel like I've been in um, is to put something out there that you've explored and expressed your position on maybe and then for other people to see that. Um, so no, for me, poetry is the exact opposite of escapism. Actually, to the point where um, I, ca I can't do it if I'm in sort of a heavy headspace. Yeah. Um, do you do you ever, when you're writing, do you ever feel resistance to that? Like, I don't, because I notice a problem that I have is... I'll implement more craft when I want to 
protect myself from that vulnerability. I do that semi-consciously, not totally on purpose, but I'll like, like layer a metaphor in where I should just be direct. Um, so do, do you ever find yourself, because if, if you're going to that really raw place, what kind of checks do you have some subcon- subconscious or not that, that either allows you to get there or, or is an obstacle? That's interesting. I haven't really thought about it a whole lot, but I can tell you what I've been doing is calling things out during my writing, like in the writing. So um, I've pretty much only been writing for about the last year about my mother's illness and her death. Okay, so we'll backtrack. In August of 2022, my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. And then August of 2023, she passed away. In that time, I was with her uh, almost almost every day, as much as I could be. She lives two hours away. So during that time, I found it impossible to write about anything else. And even still, I'm having a very difficult time writing about anything else. So I, in so many poems so far, I will start writing and I'll be using metaphor or something, right? Because it's easier to talk about the ocean that's creeping closer to me as I lay on the beach uh, than it is to really come out and just say, you know, um, my mother's getting close to passing away. But then within the poem, I just say, can I just tell you this is a metaphor? And just really call it out like in the piece. And so I think what I'm doing with poetry when I'm writing about those really vulnerable moments or those really difficult times, I think that I'm using it as a processing tool in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't come across any strategies that I'm implementing uh, purposefully, really, but I do see myself using poetry as a tool for processing um, as I'm ready to kind of dig into those different ideas or topics. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And like, mm-hmm. <laughs> It it stinks when you're it can it can stink when you're in the middle of writing a poem and you're you're working through something and you get done and then you stand up and then you're like, Oh, well now what? You know, like what am I gonna do with myself now that I'm standing up and not staring at the screen anymore? Um, right. Yes. That's when you know you're in like the thick of the processing, I think. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And it's so nonlinear with any hard thing that any of us go through. It's, it's so difficult. You know, I love structure. I like to know this is what you're doing at this time. This is what you're doing at this time. Then this will happen. Um, I like to mentally plan my time out that way. But when we're talking about grief or when we're talking about processing of whatever difficult thing that any of us have been through, um, it just doesn't work like that. Right. So you could be, you know, it's six months later and you're totally fine and maybe you're writing a poem and then uh, you finish and you feel back to square one or, you know, so um, I don't know. It's interesting. I think writing can sometimes spark feelings, but also uh, satiate a little bit. I think sometimes after I've written a poem, I'm like, okay, I can breathe a little bit. I've got that out of the way and I can sort of compartmentalize it for a second. Yeah. Or like, 
you know, I, th I think especially when it comes to grief and, and a person, uh, when you're writing about a specific person, mm. there's a feeling like I have to get this down before I forget. And then, oh, yeah. you know, you get it down and then there's relief in that. And like, okay, I didn't forget. It's now mm. on the paper. Absolutely. I, that's such a good point. I think poetry gives us this power of preservation, which is, it feels really important to have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Neil Gaiman said, um, he did this, he did this talk about like giving stories and, and uh, one, th one thing he said that really stood out to me was that people last about three generations that by mm. the time you get you know, when your parents tell you about something they remember from their grandparents, not having any connection to that makes it really difficult to remember those stories because chances are, even if you did meet your great-grandparents, they were probably, you know, a, a shadow of who they used to be and and they pass when, they, when you're young, um, typically. Uh, and so three generations about as long as, as you will last unless you write something down. Yes, I have been thinking about this so much because so much of my family history has been sort of lot like it's sort of evaporated in the last five years, I'd say. Um, in in 2017, I lost my great grandmother. In 2019, I lost my grandmother, and then my mom. We lost her in 2023. So there are all of the uh, matriarchs of the family, right? Just boom, boom, boom. And um, we don't have anyone left. There's no, there, all these stories are gone. Um, and so I've been talking a lot with my papa, who's my mom's dad. Um, and he's sort of the last remaining elder of the family. And, uh, you know, he was always a little bit uh, not super into, I, I don't know he would have loved if I would have been a just stay at home mom and really focused on the family and learning how to bake. And, you know, that he would have really, really loved that. But that is, alas, uh, not who I am. Uh, but he's been coming around uh, to, you know, these other things that I'm doing. Um, and poetry is one that he didn't really understand for a while. Uh, but the last time I talked to him, he uh, he said, I wrote two poems. Do like, you want me to read them to you? And I was like, yes, please. And he read me these poems that he had written where he was really upset at the, uh, he lives in Michigan. He was really upset at their village administrator because uh, there was a culvert that was supposed to be done near his home and it wasn't dug. And so this was impacting uh, potential flooding and things like that. So he wrote a poem, very upset about the village administrator and it rhymed and everything. It was fantastic. Um, and so we've been able to sort of uh, kind of connect in that way through poetry. And the other day I opened the mailbox and there was a cassette tape. So I don't even know if all of our listeners will even know what a cassette tape is at this point but it was a cassette tape that he had recorded uh, on this recording device that he has. And it's just three or four hours of him telling stories. And he wants me to listen to them and write them, like type them up um, so that they can be archived. 
And I just felt like that's so magical and such a gift. And so we're going to try to keep it going for as long as we can. Um, but you're so right. I think, I think until we don't have that access to that history or those stories of our family, uh, at least I, I did not grasp how, oh God, how much I needed that, how much identity is lost um, when those stories are lost and that history is lost. Yeah. Wow. That's a great story about your grandfather. Holy crap. Um, mm. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So I want to, I want to turn to your, to your writing um, because, you know, you do all these different things. Um, you, you know, you, you have a degree in social sciences. You're on, you, you were on the city council until very recently and you're still serving the local government in a different um, capacity. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I've been working on the Athens County Board of Developmental Disability. And so I'm curious about all the work you do is so, it's important. And it's typically, you know, they're emotionally driven things that people tend to pursue, I think. Like, I think that it has to be a really, I would consider social work to be a, a passionate discipline. Um, yeah. because of the, the, the empathy that you have to have in order to engage with it. And I'm wondering where does poetry end and your life's work begin? And, and like, I guess, how does it, how does it feed each other? What do you get from your social work and what do you take from poetry that you bring out into the field with you? I think I take a lot from one to put into the other and maybe not so much of the other into my work. So I think I've taken a lot from these more practical aspects of my life, maybe my career and my um, work on the Pawpaw Festival or working for local government. And that is that runs pretty deep through my poetry. Um, and has for quite a while. The first poem that was ever published outside of at my university literary magazine, you know, the University Lit Mag. Outside of that, my first publication was Women on Drugs, which I wrote while working at a women's inpatient rehab. And so from there on, the things that I was doing just really affected that. So again, working on village council where we're talking about road paving or grants, um, things like that, that pops up in here. Thursday night community dinner, which is a poem in the book, uh, that is taken from an actual uh, group that meets in one of the local communities at, every Thursday, um, which is something that we would you know, connect our individuals to as a place to gather, get community, um, have a free meal on a Thursday, things like that. So, so all of these things that I'm dealing with through my job or my career or whatever, um, and again, addiction, poverty, child hunger, um, I'm writing about all of those a lot of the time. And a lot of these poems in the newer chat book um, stem from that. Yeah. Now, as far as taking poetry and applying it towards those other areas, that's something 
I think about from time to time, like, how can I do that? Because it's something that I love. Um, and I love those other aspects of my life too, but it's a different, it's, it's a very different thing. There's more of this, the, there are more like emotional synapses that are happening with one over the other. I haven't really found a way to carry poetry over in those other aspects. Yeah. Um, I would love some tips if you've found a way. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I can help you with your career in that way. <laughs> um, I will but... say that here, here is a connection. Um, and it wasn't necessarily deliberate, but it did, you know, it just happened. I uh, put out a newsletter every other month. Um, and this is something that I was doing before I even, uh, before I became the poet laureate. So I put out this newsletter, um, feature local poets in each one. And um, what's been really neat is I've been able to connect with a broader um, uh, poet base, I guess you could say. So the county of Athens, especially in relation to uh, a place like Parma, is not very large. Uh, so Athens is a small area. Um, uh, but when I started putting these newsletters out in print, uh, and then I would just drop copies off all over the place, um, more people started reading them. So we did get some people, some folks in who uh, have developmental disabilities. Um, or communication. Um, they have different ways of communicating than maybe you and I would communicate verbally. Uh, they were able to write poems and get them published and then go on and do readings at the open mic. And then so we're able to kind of uh, broaden that poetry base in a way that I hadn't been able to before. So the newsletter really helped kind of make that connection but again, it's outside of work hours. It's not really something that I'm doing for the job or anything like that. Um, it was just a cool way for those two worlds of mine to intermingle. Sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned you mentioned the poem that you wrote for the program, Women on Drugs, and mm. I really I really liked that poem. Um, and it has the one line. You know, they have no time to think about saving turtles because you're, you're describing people in the throes of addiction and poverty who mm -hmm. um, are stuck. And addiction is a theme that comes up so frequently in your work. And I'm wondering, you know, I, I, I hear you describing like, you know, you fixate on writing and that you there's an urgency to it. And this is going to sound really ignorant. And maybe I'm like hyper romanticizing this in a way that you know you know how like sometimes creativity is linked with like mental illness or um mm -hmm. that um but i'm wondering if you think that there's any like overlap between like the synapses that crave drugs and the ones that crave you know creativity and an outlet mm. i think so i you know I'll just speak for me. Um, I think that my writing, but so the compulsiveness of my writing um, really may be sort of, there may be this sort of trauma driven, you said emotional synapse reaction of play. So as a child, 
I didn't get like journals as a seven-year-old and just start writing poetry. I was getting journals and diaries and I was writing, you know, what happened to me that day. And as a child, um, I went through a lot of shit, you know, a lot of like really hard stuff. And I didn't have anyone to talk to about those things. I didn't have the language, you know, I, I think it's so funny, not funny, haha. <laughs> but um, so my son, who is this fabulous, speaking of the connection, this fabulous, um, just so talented um, sketch artist. And he's 13 now, but he has, uh, he's had anxiety for four or five years. And now we have sort of this language around anxiety, right? We, we can call it out when it's happening. We can talk about what the body is doing during that time and how, you know, coping tools and breathing techniques and all of these things where he's gotten really good at self-identifying and then being able to self-soothe when those things happen. And he can, he has this emotional language where he can tell us what he needs. And um, that's just something that I did not talk about as a child. You know, it was just something that I don't think that we had the language for. It was something I don't think that my mother had the language for. And so I learned a really good processing tool was just writing in a diary. So something really hard would happen or just something totally mundane. It really didn't matter. I was writing all the time, but something would happen. And then I would go to my bedroom and then sit with it and write about it. And then I was able to write about how I felt about what happened and no one was ever going to read it. I thought so I could just write anything and be totally open and totally honest in a way different than if I would have been able to, you know, speaking to a human. Um, so, so I was really using a super therapeutic processing tool when I was younger and didn't even know it. Um, and I just think that that really stayed with me as an adult. Um, and, you know, when I wrote that poem, Women on Drugs, that was, oh gosh, in 2018, I think, because that was the, you know, that was the first time I had been published um, outside of, you know, the University Lit Mag. I had just quit a really longstanding gnarly smoking habit. Uh, I was drinking more than I had really ever drank before. I was working at a rehab facility that was so stressful and sad and rewarding and great, but very high adrenaline work. Um, at that time, it was interesting. We were also becoming more aware of my grandmother's opioid addiction, um, which looked much different from your traditional maybe opioid addiction, or maybe it was the traditional opioid addiction. It was this elderly woman who had just been overprescribed a medication that she could no longer really function without. Um, and then also at the same time, someone very, very close to me and my family had been imprisoned for drug-related um, charges. So addiction was permeating so many facets of my life at that time right and I think that um it was just so natural for me to 
go to the page and write about it. And I wrote that poem the same way that I write a lot of poems. It's a conjoining of all of these various experiences, different times in my life, various people uh, who I've met, different things that I've heard from different people. Um, and I appreciate you saying that you really liked it. It was really well received at the time. Um, and you know, to go back on to, to go back to the conversation that we started out with and this idea of our responsibility to other people and how we, how our work is representative of certain things. That poem really taught me a lot about this. Um, years later, after it was published, one of my colleagues who was still working at the rehab, I had left and gone to another agency. She was there. She provided that poem to a group of women who were clients at the rehab at the time. And they did like one of their groups, they read it together. It did not land well. <laughs> it was overwhelmingly um, hated. And I know this because my former colleague reached out and told me and she, with a really good heart, asked if I could come in and just sort of let them talk to me about those feelings. And I did decline that invitation. I just thought that it set up a really not great precedent. And um, I just didn't know what that was going to help. But I really took that in and was like, okay, I need to pay attention. I need to think about, you know, how these things can be taken. And especially with people who are still in that really vulnerable space, um, you know, I don't know. It's just, I don't have a good answer for that. Just going back to that question about our responsibility as writers. Um, but it's just interesting to bring up that poem um, during that conversation because it's one of those that has really made me think about that and consider how I'm representing um, the people around me. Did you make changes after that event? You know, I have not yet. And what's interesting is, I say yet, because I don't believe that actually my friend Patricia Black, she's a local poet. Uh, you may know Patricia. She's She was on OPA for a while. She did the contest. She said, um, a poem is never finished, only abandoned. <laughs> so um, so that is one that I, that I may go back to and tweak a little bit. But the specific line that they had a big issue with was the turtle line. It was that line, they have no time to think about saving turtles. And um, I really stand by that line, not to take myself too seriously, but I do think I've lived it and I've seen it and I've experienced it that in the throes of addiction, you are there's this survival mode that makes it really difficult. It kind of acts as a barrier to really have the ability or the capacity to, you know, to kind of save anyone else around you. Um, so I don't know. It's something to think about. I I will go back to that, I'm sure, just because I go back to most of the things I write. Uh, but there's just a little interesting tidbit about that particular piece. Yeah, well, that's that's interesting because I that's not the that's not the line I was expecting them to to take issue with. Mm. 
you know, and I think I think barrier is a good one, a good word to describe it because I think like, you know, if somebody's an alcoholic or you know a drug addict, um, I've known a few uh, in both camps, and you know, it's not necessarily that they can't do anything mm. else, um, but their whole life is structured around their habit. Like the habit mm-hmm. comes first, no matter what. Yeah. And so much time and energy can be spent maintaining that habit and also keeping up the appearance that like everything's fine. Mm. Um, it really just makes it difficult to do other things generally. Um, but I'm speaking completely anecdotally and not as a social worker. So <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. And maybe that's a re that maybe my career is a reason that I am thinking too much about it, but you know, back to your question about, you know, what role can creativity potentially play when you're thinking about, you know, addiction and mental health and struggling in that way. I think that, you know, it could be a tool to bring awareness to a particular issue. Again, I don't set out to, um, And obviously, I'm not bragging about this. It's not a very good quality, but I'm not setting out to uh, be an advocate through my poet through my poetry necessarily. Um, but I think it definitely. I think I know writers who definitely do a really good job at using poetry in that way, um, a tool for processing complicated issue. But it can also be used to sort of expose people. Um, I think about what makes me uncomfortable says a lot about me. Um, But also what I say and how I see the world can also say a lot about me. So I think poetry says so much about the author, but it also says a lot about the reader and can make us sort of identify things in ourselves that we didn't really know were there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. if you were asked to go back and talk to them today, would you? Yeah, probably. I think, I think I say, yeah, probably because I still think about it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, uh, I don't know, you know, it's such an interesting thing. You know, earlier I'd said that it sets, it could set up a really unhealthy precedent. And I do think that's true. I think that as poets, you know, you know, I read some things that are head scratchers or that make me feel uncomfortable. Um, But I don't know that I need anything from the author because of that. But I mean, other people's needs are going to be different than mine. So yeah, I'm really not sure. I think that I probably would um, if I was asked again. Yeah. Okay. And it, you know, with your book, um, you know, I, and I did not, while reading it, I did not get the feeling that you were trying to be an advocate, not, not in a bad way, but it, it was, you know, that wasn't like a crusade that you were on. You know what I mean? It was just mm-hmm. frank honesty about your experiences and um what do you want readers to take away specifically if if someone from your hometown picks up and reads it or someone from say columbus does 
do you want them to take away different things or, you know, how do you want them, what do you want them to get out of it? That poem in particular? Just the collection in general. Oh, the collection in general. That's a good question. Um, I would like for it to be a fun read. I would like for people to think about how things aren't always as they appear. Um, you know, part of the exploration, and I would call the act of me putting this collection together as an exploration. I didn't set out with a particular goal at the very beginning. Again, these pieces were sort of falling into my lap. I had this floodgate that had been open of memories rushing in, um, and uh, it sort of got away from me a little bit. Um, but when I was really piecing everything together, um, you know, I think that there are these stereotypes of small towns, of rural towns. I think that um, they can often be seen as boring or not necessarily contributing. Um, and uh, I would hope that people read the book and see that if you strip away a little bit, there is this underlying humanity and there there are very interesting characters and there's a history um, there that's really worthwhile. Uh, I think these places are sort of seething with this life that isn't always seen. Um, and sometimes it's and sometimes it's a little bit weird. <laughs> um, so so I think overall I just I hope that when people read it, they find it to be a little bit fun, even though it is dark in some places. Um, but just to see a thickness in the humanity um, around rural communities. Excellent. Um, well, could you wrap us up with a poem? I would love to. So we started out with Closed Road Ahead. I will read Mad Women. Look all the way to the fingertips, abused by our own mouths. So many people are the tips of our fingers, chewed raw until it hurts to hold anything. We are the palms of outstretched hands. How many women can fit here, balanced on lines that stretch from knuckle to wrist? We are dewdrops on a gum tree leaf. Can you see your smile in here? See the way we move so we won't disrupt our surface tension? So many people, these reflections, staying so still, trying not to burst. Look again at the fingertips, rough edges callous to the core. So many people are the hardened skin of our hands, stripped bare, only to heal again and again until nothing else gets through. We are fists of overflowing arms. How many of you have felt this heat, synapse sparks that spew like lava from your mouth? We are spikes on a honey locust. Can you find a way to hold us anyway? Sharp and ready, we wait for unsuspected touch. Blanket the ground with the leaves that fall around us. We share these parts of ourselves with you, beg you to rip them out, smile as you carry them away.
<laughs> I can just see them all over my sweatpants as I walk <laughs> <up>. <laughs> Yes. Little travelers. <laughs> oh, thank you. oh, excuse me. Thank you so much. Okay, this has been Poetry Spotlight, a production of the Ohio Poetry Association. Please follow the OPA on Twitter at Ohio Poetry and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ohio Poetry. Visit ohiopoetryassociation.org for more information. And Stephanie, thank you so very much. Thank you, Jeremy.